This is Coast to Coast. I'm Carol Masser. We are here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance and the most interesting stories in global technology from Silicon Valley and beyond, powered by our more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Coast to Coast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. So if you don't feel so high, go out to some Jersey spot. And here we are in New Jersey, and we are joined by Dr. Joel Bloom. He, of course, is the president of the NJIT, the New Jersey Institute of Technology, here with us at the Wellness and Events Center in Newark at the Voice Summit. Dr. Bloom, great to be with you. Same here. So what is going on all around us here? We got people buzzing by. We got a lot of a lot of talking. What's happening? So this is the first international voice conference. Um, as you know, it's been arranged by a company by the name of Modev. Primary sponsors are Amazon Alexa. And when you think about voice technology, the one factoid that just drives me wild is when we speak. We're speaking at about 140 words per minute. When we type word process, only about 50 words a minute. Ah. So if you think about that little factoid, you understand what's driving the technology. We as people in Mm -hmm. a variety of industries, jobs, social life, whatever, how fast we can engage technology and get responses using voice as compared to keystroking. So that's the future of and why voice technology. So as you probably know, we competed against several well-known... LA, Philadelphia, New York City. And we won. Yeah. We won because of this building here. This is a building that opened this past January. It's 220,000 square feet. It really was supposed to be a gym, but no one builds gyms anymore. It's a multi-purpose building for a Division one basketball game, we sit 3,500, but for a conference, we sit 4,500. And all of the rooms, as you may have noticed, were designed, yes, they can accommodate uh, aerobics, but they can also accommodate breakout rooms for meetings. And when you think about the transportation that we sit in the middle of, there's a light rail train station at the corner of the facility, takes you right down to Penn Station, Penn Station in Newark to Penn Station in Newark is all of about 30 minutes. The airport's 15 minutes away, the great Newark International Liberty Airport. 40% of the marketplace of the United States is within an hour's drive of NGIT. So why aren't we doing conferencing in science and technology fields? And this is our first international conference in this relatively new building. Well, Joel, tell us a little bit more, too, about what this means maybe to Newark and the revitalization, which is a story we've been talking about for a long time, and I feel like there's starts and stops, but I know there's some well-known companies here. You've got Panasonic, you've got Audible, uh, you've got Verizon. There is a lot happening, but how does this maybe fit into the bigger, broader economic scenario that maybe Newark would like to be? So Newark, I mean, the biggest uh, news, of course, about Newark came out uh, about six months ago. We made the list of 20, the famous list of 20. Amazon's (laughs) H2Q, looking for new corporate headquarters off of the West Coast, we believe. So we said, well, why don't we bid? 
And not unlike this conference, when the community came together, and that is the Prudentials and the, and the Audibles and the Panasonics, um, don't leave, every company is a tech company. You want to see amazing technology, go into the new Prudential Tower mm. where they have their trading floors. Right. So we said, let's go after you know, the Amazon new headquarters. And as you now know, we are one of 20. And when you look at who we're competing against, most people would not have recognized Newark right off the bat as a destination city for a new corporate headquarters for Amazon. So a lot is coming together. It has always been a college town. So in Newark, there are 55,000 college students, staff, and faculty every day. Wow. We're here, NGIT, and we're growing. Why are we growing? Because we can't, we can't create enough engineers, computer scientists, designers, et cetera, for the industries. So our students are leaving here three and four job offers, six-digit with a baccalaureate figures and salary. And so tell us about that. Where are they headed? What, what, who are the, the, the most heavily recruiting uh, on campus these days? Uh, some of the same people who are here today. Right. So Google. Google comes all the way. Google hosts us now on their beautiful campus, as you know, out in California. So they, they, it, we are being recruited worldwide. Uh, for a couple reasons. One, people who do their homework know of the top universities, top 30, producing diverse scientists, engineers, NGITs, always in the top 30 in the nation for minority engineers, underrepresented female engineers, computer scientists, etc. So they discovered us by doing some research. So one of the reasons we built this building because we couldn't house our career fairs anymore. We were up to 150, 180, mm -hmm. and of course we try to collect some revenue through career fairs. We were out of space. So here we had our first career fair this past spring. I think we had about 280 companies here. Right, right. So they're recruiting worldwide and it's a all taken off. Uh, a lot right. of folks. A lot um, of folks. Really fascinating. Um, Thanks for having us here. <laughs> well, we, well, we're long-term partners. We continue to get all kind of kudos about our right. joint science technology telecast. Well, and we look forward to hearing more. Dr. Joel Bloom, thank you so much. President at New Jersey Institute of Technology at NJIT's Wellness and Events Center in Newark. Everybody's got a Hungry heart indeed. And for more on that, we turn to Michael Atkinson. He's the founder and chief executive officer of Orderscape. He's based in San Jose, California, but he's with us here on site at NJIT's Wellness and Events Center in Newark for the Voice Summit. Michael, nice to be with you. Good to be here. Thanks. So we've been hearing so much about, and I confess, I do a lot of uh, online ordering. Uh, <laughs> and increasingly, people are looking to do that as it relates to to food and what's happening out there? How are you helping folks do this? Well, it's kind of a slow process, but it you know, really begins with understanding the food service industry and what their needs are. You know, the industry is large and fragmented, and food to go has become a big, big deal in the restaurant industry. And so we're looking at voices like the fourth pillar. If you look at uh, pillars as being the telephone, as being one, um, you know, web as being two, mobile apps uh, being yeah. three. We're looking at voice as being the fourth pillar for online ordering to be able to connect and engage and facilitate commerce with your guests. 
And so, why? Like, what, what, what made you realize that, that voice is, the, is this next wave? You really want to – the honest answer is I saw the Taco Bot commercial about two years ago. Ah. <laughs> and I was sitting in my living room, and I said, now that's, that's, that's brilliant. And so we started looking at, at chatbots as, as a way to, uh, to really facilitate this fourth pillar. But within about six months, we realized that voice was it. And so we switched gears and put all of our energy into developing uh, skills and ultimately a portal to enable voice ordering through uh, Alexa and Google Assistant, among other gateways. And you're using it. It's happening. Oh, yes. Well, we, we launched our first skill. It took uh, quite a long time to develop it mm-hmm. um, in December of 2017 with a restaurant chain that's based out of Lexington, Kentucky called Fazoli's. Yeah. They have about 230 restaurants. And so we, uh, we cut our teeth on that. Um, and the beauty of that is that it's a full menu ordering solution, unlike uh, a few other voice apps out there that enable just reorder. Um, and, and the reason why we chose full menu is because if you, you know, order a pepperoni pizza every time, you know, and you always have it with black olives, uh, and let's say your mother-in-law comes over and she wants green bell peppers, uh, you can't order it. Yeah. Um, you have to start a whole new order from scratch. And so we reason that full menu is, uh, is more complex. It's harder for the developers to figure this out. Uh, but it's a much better consumer uh, application. So we spent quite a lot of time building full menu ordering capability to enable any restaurant uh, with any menu anywhere to be able to have a voice skill and to order through Orderscape. And just so I understand, it, so, I mean, this is quite literally, I'm wandering around my kitchen, I decide what I want for dinner, and I say to Alexa, order this from this place. That's where it'll get to. I mean, that's next up in our in our business model. Right now, what you see are branded apps. So in this case, it would be Alexa Open Fazoli's. Ah, okay? got it. Okay. So you have to know the Fazoli. You have to enable that skill. Where we're going next is ingesting tens of thousands of restaurant locations and millions of menu items, voice enabling those, standardizing them to enable you to say, Alexa, I'm hungry. <laughs> say, hey, Paul, what are you hungry for? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, banana cream pie. And it'll say, well, there's four bakeries near you that serve that and in a multimodal experience it'll give you that to look at or you can just say well which one's closest to me how how complicated like how difficult is it how long will it take us to get there well you know if if the moon and the sun line up appropriately we'll be launching our uh, food first voice first portal uh with uh, over fifty thousand restaurants by mid-quarter one, 2019. Wow. So right now, I mean, the original business plan was to enable brand by brand. And so and we built one with Roundtable Pizza, which is a West Coast brand. They have about 450 restaurants. The second one was Fazoli's, 230 restaurants. But that looks like a lot of scale, a lot of restaurants, but it's really only two menus. Right. Yeah. And so that doesn't give you the depth and breadth you really need so you can go into your kitchen and say, I'm hungry, right? Right. So the other uh, challenge we had to solve was search. A search is really important in a, in a voice environment because you don't want to have a long conversation. If you ask for fettuccine Alfredo, you don't want to go to a bunch of websites or you don't want to look at Wikipedia. You don't want to look right. at recipes. Yeah, yeah. You want to go to fettuccine. Right. And you want to see that item. And if there's five restaurants near you that serve that, you just want to choose which restaurant near you and then order it. It's a much faster, more elegant solution. 
Is it going to be true, though? Like, I mean, are people going to be advertising and saying, well, I'm paying more to Alexa or Google, and so my fettuccine is going to come up first? No. Will, you know, it, will the, it be transparent? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, the consumers won't pay for those additional ads. I mean, you're familiar with how ads work, work right? No, I you know. know. Well, that's my... Yeah. Uh, so, sure. I mean, our, revenue models in a new medium are always... All, it's more art than science, right? Yeah. So, traditionally, the way food ordering works is that it's free to the consumer and the brand pays between what 13 to 30 percent depending on whether you have a delivery or, or not um, our model is different you can't ingest and aggregate 100,000 restaurants or 200,000 restaurants and have individual agreements with every one of these restaurants it'll take you, you know, quite a long time so we'd rather just push out free orders to the restaurants you know so we partner with platforms that already have already aggregated these restaurants that already push out the orders to the point of sale systems so they've done the aggregation work and the restaurants huh. have the menus. We have the speech technology. So I have to ask you before we let you go, about 30 seconds left. You're a restaurant guy. Yeah. Um, you're a restaurant and a technology guy. You've done a lot of this. How are restaurants reacting to this, like at the, at the ground floor? Slowly. <laughs> they are enamored with it. They're confused by it. It's very complex. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about the basics, this is another way for you to reach your guests very quickly. And you want to keep pace with how consumers use technology. Look at, you know, track record of, you know, cassettes versus streaming. Um, you want to stay close to them. And this is the next big thing, we believe, in engaging with your customers interactively. I love it. Honey, I'm hungry. Yeah, me too. What do you want to eat? <laughs> um, Michael Atkinson, a lot of fun. Great. Thanks Let's very much. Let's know how things are going. Michael Atkinson, he's founder and chief executive officer of Orderscape, based in San Jose, California, on-site at NJIT's Wellness and Event Center in Newark. So that's the focus of the Voice Summit at New Jersey Institute of Technology. Pete Erickson is creator of the Voice Summit. He's founder of Modev. It's a website and community of more than 25,000 software developers and executives really looking to stay informed uh, as this technology really transforms everything around us. Uh, Pete, nice to have you back on Bloomberg Radio. You and I talked last week. Yes, it's nice to be here. Yeah, it's nice to see you in person. It's nice to like talk to the, the some of the folks that are here just to get an idea of how voice is impacting so much more than we realize. Tell me a little bit about, just remind our audience about what this is all about. Yeah, so we are just entering what we call the voice first era. So we just came out of the mobile first era. We're all, we all now have smartphones. We didn't 10 years ago. So we're all tapping, swiping, pinching. We are in the mobile-first era, but we're just transitioning into this new era called the voice-first era because we're talking to our devices, we're talking to our cars, and we're going to be talking to a lot of other products as uh, time moves on. So what has jumped out at you so far? You obviously are the man behind it all, but you know, as you walk around, as you talk to people, what's catching people's attention? Yeah, well, I think that I think just overall that there is this kind of consciousness coming into being right now, really. So more than any one technology, it's really about that a lot of people and we're getting validation on that right now. We just passed twenty five hundred and thirty six registrations for the conference. We set out to do this with 15, you know, with fifteen hundred as our goal. Mm. So we're you know blowing that away by the end of the event on Thursday. We'll probably be closer to three thousand. So what that indicates to me, what sticks out to me is that. This is happening. It's a global movement. It's a transformation of technology. And I think that, you know, if you look at the conversations that are going on, the the knowledge sharing, the ideas, that's what sticks out to me. Pete, is it that we're moving towards a world where literally it'll be like, open that door, 
get me to floor 18 at the elevator. I walk through. Like, is, it, yes. is that where we're going? Yeah, I think that's where we're going. I mean, we're going we're gonna to find it. It's kind of a noisy as, world, though, as a little the bit, tech, right? Well, and that's also where the technology comes in. So yeah. both the technology that hears what we're doing and we're talking about and the technology that then processes it. There's a lot of things happening behind the scenes at once, right? So you've got machine learning, artificial intelligence. You have cloud computing. Mm-hmm. You have uh, internet connectivity with 5G now coming on with the wireless carrier. So all these things are combining to sort of create this perfect storm where voice is going to start playing a bigger role in our lives. You know, you mentioned mobile first and now shifting to voice first. A lot of this must have to do, though, with mobile first. These are these are inextricably, I would mm-hmm. think, linked, right? I mean, yep. we're so attached to our phones, and, you know, you see yep. people wandering around, whether it's asking Google or Siri or Alexa, whatever it is. How does mobile play into this from your perspective? Yeah, well, it, so as you look back on technology, when technology goes through major evolutions, they're building on the previous evolution, right? right? So mobile first built on the Internet, Right, so the internet proliferated with websites, and then we were able to take those websites and put them on devices. And now we're able to build on the mobile-first revolution and enter into the voice-first revolution. So, um, you know, a lot of people we talk to our phones now. We talk to different apps, mm-hmm. and so we're, you know, we're. It's just a, it's an easier leap to get to voice-first from where we are with mobile. Why was it so tricky? I mean, I feel like I was doing voice recognition stories ah, at technology show twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and it just was tricky. Yeah. What is it in terms of the technology or technological development that all of a sudden it's like it yeah. works? For ten years before the iPhone came out, you know. We there was always going to be the next year was going to be the mobile year, the year of mobile, right? And it really didn't happen until the iPhone got introduced. And mm. why? What happened was a number of technologies came together at once. All the technologies for the iPhone existed long before the iPhone came out. It just took creativity and a vision to bring it all together to really create this new platform. But to make it where it works, where you That's literally right. do talk to something and they understand it, all the fine details, that yeah. early voice, voice recognition voice was Voice recognition has been around. I mean, uh, yeah. Space Odyssey, 2001, 1968, 69, you know, that was, uh, you know, talking to the HAL 9000. Um, so voice recognition has been around for a long time. It just hasn't been able to be... Uh, commercialized and, you know, ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Now you can go get a $29 device, put it in your house and, you know, have voice and control your lights and do all kinds of things um, with that device. So we've just, the technology's advanced, all the other kind of supporting technologies have advanced to the point where now it's ubiquitous and everybody, you know, can access it. So about 20 seconds left, Pete. I got to ask you, you know, we're sitting here at NJIT. Why Newark? There was a whole bake-off for this. Why'd you choose here? (laughs) Yeah, so Newark won um, on the merits, and Newark had a response to our um, nationwide request for proposal. They beat out a lot of other cities because they came to us as a community. They put together a partnership with the city, the university, industry, and we looked at that. And when we came and saw this brand-new $110 million wellness and event center, we knew we had a home. Pete Erickson. Thank you so much. You're the creator, of, cor- of course, of The Voice Summit, the reason we are all yeah. here and having a lot of conversations with our voices, <laughs> I might point out. Uh, great to be with you and uh, look forward to checking in on what happens next. This is Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Earlier this year, Lego launched a new interactive skill on Amazon Alexa. It's called Lego Duplo Stories. It's an interactive experience. It combines storytelling with Legos. Let's get more from our next guest. He's J.P. Poulter. He's head of emerging platforms and digital consumer engagement at Lego Group based in London here at NJIT Wellness and Event Center in Newark. Hello. Hey, nice to see you guys. Tell us what you guys are doing. Yeah, so we've been looking at 
at voice, obviously, from a number of different aspects, from things like e-commerce and through to content experiences, which is the, the Duplo skill that we launched earlier this year. And it's really about looking at the ways that you can make the building experience with Lego, which is what kids love to do, uh, right. more immersive. And, and audio is one of those things that can do that. So if you think about typical Lego building with young children, you know, if you're a parent working with maybe a toddler, three, four years old, it's a very hands-on, very eyes-on experience. But we can take that another layer deeper by adding audio and sound. So we launched this skill with, with Amazon earlier in the year. It's 10 interactive stories that you can build whilst mm. listening to, kind of like the choose-your-own-adventure books from kind of days gone past, but brought into this new way of doing things with Alexa. Well, and it is so fascinating to think about the immersive nature because anybody who has children has ever seen a child really get into building Legos. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, you know, one of my guys was super, super into Legos for a while, and you, he just transformed himself into or found himself sort of in an, in another world. So That's right. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, long before developers and coders were talking about flow and all of these kind of states of kind of getting into that way of doing code, you know, we've seen kids doing it when they're building Lego for a long time. And I think that you, when you take the audio medium, whether that's an audio background or a story or the environment that they're actually building with their hands, you can add something to it that makes that even more of a magical experience of building what's coming out their imagination. Well, and let me ask you this, like, how much do you worry, though, about sort of disrupting the flow, you know, in, in any mm-hmm. way sort of interfering with that that, that state that, that, that kids find themselves in? And I suppose there's two ways in. So one is this kind of idea of adding content to it to make that more of an immersive experience. But we also know that lots of kids need help play starting. How do you get started ah. telling a story? And particularly for parents as well, one of the things that drove us to launch Lego Duplo Stories was because that actually parents are more busy than they've ever been before, right? We've got more particularly millennial parents parents who are uh, sharing the workload, that they're you know, working more hours, they've got less time to connect. So when they're sitting down to play with their kids, they need new inspiration all the time, both the parents and the kids. And this is a great way of doing that. They've got loads of different stories that can play again and again in different ways. And we're seeing that, that across all of the different Lego building experiences, that actually we can add new ways of getting play started. And this is just one of those. Yeah, where else might you go using voice recognition or voice technology? So we're looking a lot at both the multiple platforms. So we've done a couple of things now on Alexa. We're also looking at Google and we'll be launching something with them later in the year. And really it's about how do we make the building experience relevant to kids every single day. I think one of the most interesting ideas around voice is how it builds into daily routine. We're seeing more and more parents putting these devices actually in the home and in the child's bedroom or in the play space because it's a safe space. It's seen as an alternative to screen time, which obviously many of us are concerned about how that's happening uh, in our homes. So I think that as you build it into routines, things like alarms, things like reminders, being able to help kids build every single day and and really just enhance their play experience as part of their life. We see kids stitching a lot more of their life together, stitching their play together through the day. What's been the response since you've introduced this? This, The response has been great. We've had a lot of positive feedback, but we're still really early in this space. You are. We're all learning. Uh, I think that they're, unlike other platforms, right, there's no interaction to base this on in many ways. You know, we've gone from mobile to social to now voice being the next technology revolution but what's key difference in the revolution within voice is that it's being adopted by everyone at the same time young and old Mm. it's not just early adopter millennial type people that are buying these things we've seen research now showing that actually right through the age spectrum across gender and also Mm. crucially also across price point you know some of these devices down on prime day to 35 bucks you know it's accessible to everyone and so unlike mobile before it where smartphones were obviously high cost and they took a long time to bed in or even mobile or 
or desktop computing. This is just happening for everyone simultaneously. And so that means that everyone who's building on top of these platforms has to learn at the same time because we're all building experiences for basically all consumers. So, JP, only about 30 seconds left. You know, stitching together, is it using your word, sort of this voice activity, the social media activity, what's the big takeaway for what's next for the Lego brand and and usage for you? I think particularly for voice, it really is about immersion. So we're looking across whether it's the work we're doing in augmented reality. You saw the announcements we had at WWDC a couple of weeks ago with Apple and ARKit2 through to the work that we're doing with Alexa and Google within voice. It's about how do we take the digital layer and make that more of an immersive building experience without neglecting the physical. We're never going away from the physical Lego brick, but we can make complementary experiences that help building for kids more enjoyable. Pretty cool stuff. All right, JP, thank you so much. Good to catch up with you. JP Poulter, Head of Emerging Platforms and Digital Consumer Engagement at Lego Group, based in London at the NJIT Wellness and Events Center in Newark. So she leads the emerging voice practice at the Mars Agency. It's a Detroit-based global marketing firm specializing in marketing to shoppers. Brie Glazer is innovation strategy at the agency. And uh, she's based in San Francisco, but here at uh, the Voice Summit in Newark, New Jersey. Um, You were part of a panel here that talked about the high-impact consumer brand strategies. How is voice uh, reaching out to consumers uh, more effectively or in a bigger way? Yeah, well, we think that brands should move to deploy on voice because that's where consumers increasingly are. So if we see smart speakers in homes at 18% penetration right now, forecasted to be 55% in the next couple of years, um, brands just would be remiss to not be um, exploiting that touch point. Is it a case where all of a sudden out of Alexa or Google you're going to hear, so-and-so's on sale. Like, how is this going to work? I hope not. Um, (laughs) I I mean, promotions, that is one angle that brands can take, but what we really think they should be doing is providing a real value for their consumer that makes sense for that at-home moment. So there's a a whole research um, process that goes into finding the right brand-relevant activation for for your brand on voice. So let's talk about consumer behavior for a minute, because I was reading your background, and, and, and it's interesting because you obviously have a strong uh, background in brand, but you studied clinical psychology, you've studied design, and so how does all that come together as you try to figure out how to, how to touch a consumer in this new way? Yeah, well, I mean, voice is a brand new uh, design challenge, so I think it helps to have this kind of background that I have. Um, when we approach designing for voice, We interview people, we talk to people, we observe people, we look at consumer research. I think there's just a, you have to be flexible at this point to figure out where those insights are coming from. So how do you see a brand kind of using voice? And I'm just curious who you're maybe already working with. I I know you probably can't give away trade secrets and so on and so forth, but I am curious of kind of the actual application that that we're already seeing. Yeah, I think there's a few different things that you can do. So you can build a skill for Amazon Alexa or Google Home um, and provide some sort of utility such as, I mean, there's there's not that many brand players. What does that mean, build a skill for Amazon Alexa? Like a voice app. Oh, okay. So basically... um, There's a good example of the Tide skill, right? So um, you can ask how to get out a grass stain, right? And the skill will tell you, um, brought to you by Tide, this is some good advice for how to get out of Tide stain. So so that's really um, applicable for um, their category, obviously. They have that ownership. They can provide that advice. I think all brands need to do that exploration of what kind of at-home moment can can we own. 
we, we think about voice a lot, especially in this context, from a virtual perspective. But you've actually done some work on the brick and mortar side and integrating voice into the experience. Tell us about that. Yes. So uh, we built a product called Smart Isle, which is the world's first uh, voice-powered shopping assistant brick and mortar retail. It's in New York City at Bottle Rocket Wine and Spirit. Um, so this helps you with that shopping decision right at the shelf through a conversation. Um, so uh, you can go in there right now and you can shop for a whiskey based on uh, what you already like. There's a couple different paths that we modeled after how we observe people actually shopping today. Um, but now we're helping them in a way that, you know, it's an opaque category. It's hard to shop. You need a little bit of help. You need that conversation. If an associate's not there, now you have Alexa. I it? love that idea of walking in and being like, this is the sort of booze I like. <laughs> yep. Tell me what I need to buy. But think about it. There's like so many different brands, right? And younger brands, older brands. Like you, you could have some fun with this. Yeah. And, the, and we've seen great results. That brick and mortar activation drove 20% sales lift on no those way. featured products. Wow. So brick and mortar is a really, really ripe area that I think is not being thought of as much. Um, but is, is you can see direct ROI in that space. That's so look around wild. the corner for us. Like, what are what should we expect? Because I, I feel like we're he- hearing a little bit, not surprisingly, it's sort of confl- conflicting reports uh, as people sort of game out what voice looks like for for us as consumers. I mean, what what do you think? What what's out there that that would blow our minds? Ugh, well, I think that what's going to be most surprising and most powerful is that voice is going to be. Um, outside of the home more so yeah. we'll see it in our cars and that will help us you know if we if we want to stop by the store and order ahead of time through the car like we'll be able to do things like that um, it will be in retail um, you know it, it just will be almost it, it's invisible but it will get it will be even more invisible if that makes sense like you it will be so natural and that's the goal it's interesting you say that because my my 14 year old is now obsessed with mobile ordering you know it's like every saturday <laughs> morning it's like we got to use the mobile app to get some dunkin donuts and so i do imagine like the next phase of this is him just speaking into his oh, phone yeah like, absolutely like anybody i mean what convinced me to get on this this train was just actually owning it myself and seeing how easily it shifts your behavior from mobile to voice activation. I think it's it's so much easier. It's the lowest friction interface. Well, that's it. It's so much easier, right? So yep. why not do it this way? Um, pretty cool stuff. Great. I still think you'd be like, hey, come by me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Drink me. I'm a whiskey. <laughs> Brie Glazer, thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Innovation Strategist at the Morris Agency. She's based in San Francisco. Her firm is based in Detroit, but of course joining us at NJIT's Wellness and Events Center in New York. Pretty cool stuff, right? I'm totally into it. I'm I love totally it. Into it. It's much easier. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets. Carol Masser, Jason Kelly, right here on Bloomberg Radio. So we're talking about all kinds of voices here at the Voice Summit. As Carol mentioned, we are on site at the NJIT Wellness and Events Center here in Newark, New Jersey. And joining us now is Jennifer Warner. She's senior editor at the Mayo Clinic. She's based in Minnesota, but right here with us today, uh, taking it all in. And Jennifer, great to be with you. You've been working on a fascinating project because it really brings voice into a very meaningful uh, part of our lives, which is health. Tell us what you've been working on. Well, we've been working on bringing health information, you know, where and when our patients and consumers need it. So uh, one of the most recent things we did is the Mayo Clinic first aid 
app and skill for Alexa, and that allows you to get that critical first aid information, you know, when you need it most, when your hands are tied up and you, your kid's on the floor with a cut, and you can say, Alexa, over Mayo Clinic first aid, tell me what can I do to stop, you know, this cut or this type of thing. So it's really, you know, it's what we've been doing for 150 years. We've talked about some companies being in this space for a while. We've been giving health information for 150 years. This is just the latest way we're doing it. How much further can you push it? Well, we do have the Center for Innovation at Mayo Clinic that is actively looking at how we can integrate those voice experiences in the patient setting. Mm. Uh, that's a different area, but that is you know, where the future of this is going. We're already in people's homes answering their health questions with Mayo Clinic information, and now we're going to be in their doctor's office very soon. And there's lots of areas at, at Mayo Clinic that are actively looking at that right now. You're a former journalist. Mm-hmm. You've been all over the world mm-hmm. writing about health. I noticed in your bio you covered uh, President Boris Yeltsin's heart surgery yes. at ABC News. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you have a great sense of like health information. But, you know, one of the things that I think we hear about a lot is misinformation when right. it comes to health. Right. Everyone's Googling everything that could or can be wrong with them. How do you ensure accuracy and how do you protect the brand amid all of mm-hmm. this noise? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we don't let we don't put our name on anything that's not from us and everything that we do is evidence based and expert reviewed. It's reviewed by the experts at Mayo Clinic and we have very strict sourcing standards. And what we're trying to do is put our name out there in the voice space using first party information. And so mm. when you ask for a health question of and a voice-enabled device in the coming months. Increasingly, you, you might be hearing that it's from you know, the Mayo Clinic. And unless you hear that it's from Mayo Clinic, then you don't really know where it's, it's from. So I would encourage users to you know where their information is coming from. Otherwise, you're getting a crowd-based you know, Wikipedia answer. It's, I'm curious, too, um, how much you guys are learning along the way. Because mm-hmm. voice, you know, it's been around for a while, yep. but everybody's still fine-tuning it. I'm mm-hmm. curious what you guys have learned as you've been rolling this stuff out. Oh, it's been fascinating, and it's really been an exciting... I mean, you know, I started out in print, went to TV, and it's it's amazing to see the evolution and how it kind of all, <laughs> it all... It all comes back, and it's all back to writing in that conversational style. I mean, but as I mentioned in my talk to the audience here, voice users, we anticipate that when they do a voice query, that's going to be their first touch base of information. That's not where they're going to go. It'll get, you know, the specifics on every treatment option for... You you know, a heart valve surgery. That's where they're going to ask their first things. Then they might go online for more information. So we're really working at providing the most urgent, uh, most focused answer that we can provide, and then also giving them the options if they need more information and when they need to contact for you know a medical provider. So as you've been walking around this conference, mm-hmm. you know, so many different applications and so many different sort of platforms, even within the voice space. What what has jumped out to you as as a content person? Well, as a content person and, and someone who is still you know creating this. Content, Content. I was really interested in, you know, some of the theories of behavior change and how we might be able to use that to develop content and not just, you know, say, change, change, please stop smoking, change. <laughs> yes, everyone knows that. Uh, but how can we use some of this, you know, behavioral theory to, to shape the products that we make and have it be response, responsive to the stage of what change that they're at and where they are in their behaviors? And I think that's going to be a really evolving thing. And that dynamic content rather than just the question and answer, but the dynamic machine-based learning where I can base my answer to you on what you previously said to me. That's so interesting because I do feel yeah. like from the broader yeah. in the broader telemedicine world, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we have started to see mm-hmm. really much more dynamic and interactive uh, 
interactions, I guess. Interactive interactions yeah, is not yeah. the best way to say it. But, yeah. you know, it is interesting to see how that's Well, and that's out. what all this technology enables us to do with all this AI and machine-based learning. And, and that's one of the initiatives that Mayo is looking at. Is, and it's not just augmented re- or artificial intelligence. It's augmented human intelligence is mm. what it is. And so it's being able to take that information that you would naturally take in and base your next response on and getting machines to re- replicate that and work with humans. I just think of the – we did a couple stories at Bloomberg Business Week, and, mm-hmm. and it was looking at artificial intelligence in medicine and whether it was helping nurses with alarm fatigue so that all the bells and whistles that go off in a hospital, mm-hmm. you know, they tend to start to tune them out. So how can they be more receptive using AI to mm-hmm. make sure that they can catch essentially a patient before they fall? Right. Things like that. Or I think about AI, was it Denmark or Norway with the emergency system where it was, you know, people would call in. And, Sweden. Or Sweden. Yeah. You know, yeah. call in and... AI was helping them kind of listen to what the person was saying to kind of get them, was it heart heart problems and so on right. and so forth. Right. And they were more effective than the actual humans yeah. in, in emergency situations. There, there's all sorts of predictive things going on. All these things are under investigation. I think at last count we had more than 140 different, you know, voice-related initiatives at Mayo Clinic alone. Really? Everything wow. from looking at, you know, how predicting algorithms for, you know, regular heartbeats to detecting different medical conditions using just your voice alone. Wow. Uh, you know, as well as things that we're doing in my department. We work on more of the consumer-facing things and products for voice-enabled personal assistance and, and things like that. So, it, I mean, it's really fascinating. It's an exciting time to be in it. Jennifer Warner, Senior Editor at the Mayo Clinic. You're based in Minnesota, but you've been here with us on site at the NJIT Wellness and Event Center in Newark, part of the Voice Summit. Thanks so much for being Great. with us. Thank you so much for having me. Really it's cool been a stuff. Pleasure. Thank you. Really cool stuff. Stop, look, and listen, baby. That's my philosophy. So that is what's going on at Arizona State University. To gather data on how students engage with Alexa and encourage students to build Alexa skills, the university partnered with Amazon, and they put an Echo Dot in every room in the university's new residence building for engineers. Let's find out exactly how it all went and get an update on what they're doing. John Rome is deputy CIO and voice evangelist at Arizona State, based in Tempe. But, of course, John joining us here at the uh, Wellness and Events Center here at NJIT. Nice to have you here on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for having me. Tell us, tell us what you guys did. Well, so a couple years ago, I, we realized that voice is going to be the next technology to disrupt. You think about first, you know, there, there was the Internet back in the mid-'90s, and then it was mobile. And it just became clear that voice was just going to be this next disruptor. And, you know, I saw it when, you know, when I bought my first Echo Dot, I could automate my home and I could then build skills much like on a mobile phone where I could ask it questions and I could get results. And we thought, wouldn't that be great to provide for ser- for students and for just provide better services? Like what? Like what did you want? What well, kind of services well, did you want to provide well, the student body? Well, well, the students want to know questions like, you know, when are when are finals? You know, what oh. what do I owe for yeah. financial aid? You know, how late is the how late is the library open? You know, what are the hours of this building? And you know, they want to know about events on campus. And instead of like trying to go to the phone all the time, we just wanted to make it a better experience for huh. them. And so how difficult was it to build essentially the back end of that to populate essentially the yeah. amount of information that yeah. a- and anticipating what they would want? No, that, that's a great question because I think typically there's a lot of technology involved, but, you know, it's th- this is still in its infancy. So we call it a lot of one and done questions. So you had to actually like hard code a lot of questions like we wanted to, you know, to impress our president, you know. Who is, who is Dr. Michael Crow? So when you build that question, it's like, who is Michael Crow? Who is Dr. Crow? So you have to put all these sort of utterances to make it happen. But what we're really trying to do is focus on what are some, 
what are some data streams or databases that we can just go and get and automate it that keeps it updated so we don't have to continue to say, you know, when is the next football game? We're going to go to find out some source that has that football game versus sort of hard coding that value there. So what's the, what, what are some of the surprising questions that uh, <laughs> students oh. started asking and, oh. and <laughs> ones that are safe for radio? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, know, you, know, the, you know, students just, that's the great thing about students, that, you know, they, they just have... They just have so much energy, and they're just funny. And, you know, one, one of my favorite things, I think I can say this on radio, but one of the, talking about teaching in the curriculum. So in addition to sort of providing these echoes, we encourage students right. to build their own skills. And then a couple of the faculty members in their programming courses had small, small sections of their course where they taught how to program in, in these Alexa skills. And so one of the professors bought robots where they could where they could actually voice enable these robots. So, of course, their one of the robots was a dog. So, what was the first thing that the students taught the dog to do? Roll over, sit. Go to the Close. bathroom. Close. There you go. Oh. Go to the bathroom. <laughs> Sorry. And, and, and and so you just you just see things Mars, like Mars, Venus. That yeah, was the there difference. You, go. you just see like that. And then the, the other thing is that we employ. You know, I work in our central IT organization, information technology, and we have about you know 250 students. And a lot of the high value, I think, are the students who do development. And, you know, we've been doing this for several years. Every student that's done something in voice, and I would say six or seven, I mean, they got employed right away. So clearly there's a market out there for, for this. And, you know, so we're sort of on this cusp of, of, of this happening. Well, John, how much further do you think voice can kind of infiltrate higher education? Yeah. Like, where well, do you see it going? Well, I mean... Uh, uh, you know, when I think about it, you know, right now, as I said, we're in its infancy. But just think about if I could use artificial intelligence and machine learning, I can take books from a particular course, feed this engine or beast, and then have the ability for for uh, an, a voice interface to say, um, let me help you prepare for this task or test. Or how do I have questions out there? Um, I can just go then ask the Alexa to or Alexa or Google, whatever that whatever that platform right. might be, to answer those questions. And, you know, it's 24 by 7, so someone doesn't have to be there, you know, all the time to be answering those questions. And then you build this corpus of knowledge that you can continue to build on and build on. So, About 30 seconds left. i got to tell you, you know, voice evangelist is one of the coolest titles <laughs> I think you can have at a university. Yeah. So as you talk to your peers at other schools, are they embracing this as quickly oh, as ASU oh, is? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, when we rolled out the program, we had over 100 media mentions. And you can imagine the amount of calls that the university got. But then also that led to the demand of our leadership to saying, give me more, give me more, give me more. And so mm. you have to figure out how to fund those programs. And we're actually still using a lot of students. We think that there's so much capability there. And then how do we build more of a formal program as this technology matures? Pretty wild. Uh, great stuff. Um, let us know more of how uh, things are okay. going. All right. John, Thanks for having me. John Rome, he's Deputy CIO, Voice Evangelist at Arizona State, based in Tempe, Arizona. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to the radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.